Oh, yeah, we always like to let Ayla Brooke and the Sound Men Desolation Sounds roll a little bit longer on Fridays. That's when we really kick it up a notch. And I want to put our associate producer on the spot, Emily Bachinski, in here with us because Samuel G. Brooks, our technical producer, and his beautiful bride, Kelly, they're getting married tomorrow. And they've got a few days ahead of time to just chill and enjoy the moment, the calm before the storm, the storm so to speak. However, Emily, may I... Put in front of real talkers. I think everybody would be quite interested in this. There's a, a Venn diagram sort of a thing here. There's circles intersecting. There's some cross patterns happening. You had a, a huge involvement with that album on Fallen Tree Records. I did. Yeah. Uh, the band reached out to me and I engineered the the record for them and sang on it a couple of times and had a wonderful experience with them. So cool. I love it. Of course, everybody knows you as the, the, the front person, the rock star that fronts Bad Buddy. But this... Uh, some also, I mean, like, I, I just absolutely loved it. And I didn't even know about this when we brought you onto the Relay team. Oh. When we brought you onto the Real Talk team, I had no idea that you had engineered the Ayla Brooke album, which we absolutely, obviously, completely love. Yeah, it was fascinating to me because I wasn't aware that it was the theme song. And, you know, coming in and doing the training and getting my, uh, you know, head around everything, I was like, huh, this is familiar. You know, you don't listen to it for a long time. You work on it for yeah. so long. And then it's like, I guess uh, I'll take a breather from this and it's so nice to hear it i like it it's turned around so well, so well i can't remember the name i'm really bad with names of songs i know the name of like i know the name of the stairway to heaven i know that's called stairway to heaven that's about it mm-hmm. other than that i just go you know the one that goes da 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 you know uh but whatever song we played yesterday yesterday didn't you sort of say i think you said you had the you were the backup vocals on that track weren't I you? i was the backup vocals on i think i hit my limit and i'm on all that i wanted to do and i'm also on one more which one is it it's the go. super rock Rock and roll one, the I have found my way in down the night. Which one is that? I don't know. Just keep going. I just want you to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. It's going to be like there's something happening here. It's a Friday vibe here in studio for sure. Um, I did some decluttering here in the studio yesterday, which I think is making me feel. I walked in here. I feel like I was breathing a little bit easier, which also is feeling really good. If, if you can check it out, there's just been there's just been a bit of a decluttering effort in here, which always makes you feel better. And uh, as, a, as somewhat of a rarity, I'm actually submitting my own trash talk today. Um, I, I received a message from somebody this week that lit a fire underneath me. It wasn't so much a message as someone lobbed a hand grenade my way. And I don't always respond to them, uh, most especially publicly, but today I'm going to. And today's trash talk is going to be about 14 minutes long. And I apologize to everybody who's we had to cut. Um, It's been a long time since we got this many messages for trash talk. A lot of you have a lot of steam to blow off, uh, but we do have to get to our Friday evening plans. And so we're going to keep trash talk to about 14 minutes today. Uh, In all seriousness, though, I love it. It's an opportunity for everybody uh, to say what they mean and to mean what they say. And uh, every once in a while, you'll write in and say, we kind of want to hear you read these words. And so you're grateful for trash talk presented by Local Waste. Coming up in just a second, Sarah Hoyles is going to update us on the news as it happens. Of course, you know that the Olympic Games are underway right now. Are you going to watch or not? Curious to know what's going to happen to vaccine mandates across the provinces across Canada, certainly Prairie premiers, uh, including Jason Kenney, Scott Moe in Saskatchewan are talking about lifting these REPs, these restriction exemption programs, you know, the ones that require you, for example, to show a QR code proving you've been vaccinated to get into a restaurant. They say that these will be gone in a number of days. And a lot of people are saying it might be a little early for that. And uh, a lot of other folks are saying, gosh, it's kind of unfortunate that it's become so obvious and so apparent that all you need to do is get a couple hundred friends and block a border for a while and you can get the premier of Alberta 
to pretty much do whatever you like, right? As long as you're white. <laughs> if you're black or indigenous, don't block a border. And the premier's not going to do what you say. People are going to roll their eyes on that. Really? The proof is in the pudding, is it not? I mean, I'm getting to the point now where I'm not sure there's much room for debate left on a whole bunch of assertions. But, hey, you can prove me wrong. You can send us an email anytime. You can take over our live chat. We look forward to the comments there. And, of course, our hashtag RealTalkRJ is always at your disposal. That's powered by Park Power. But our presenting sponsor, the ones, the, the straws that stir the drink, so to speak, is the team at Bitcoin Well. You know, they're doing work with a lot of companies. I was talking to Adam O'Brien, their CEO, at our Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic this past week. And a lot of businesses are coming to them because employees are asking to be paid in Bitcoin, or at least partially in Bitcoin, with their employer Bitcoin savings plan. Well, why would you do that, you wonder? You can learn the benefits of buying and holding Bitcoin for your business at BitcoinWell.com. If you ever have any questions about anything you're hearing from sponsors on our show, you know where to go. Just go to the Sponsors tab on our website at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We wanted to let you know that if you have uh, were anticipating hearing uh, Alberta MLA Shannon Phillips on the program, there's been a late development. Oftentimes this happens in politics. It always, it always kind of makes my spidey senses tingle. But we were notified by her team uh, at, at a relatively late hour that she wasn't going to be available for an interview, which leads me to believe uh, a couple of things. One of them may be that perhaps we're going to hear an announcement or something from the official opposition here in our home province of Alberta today. Maybe something that they didn't want this interview overshadowing. I don't know. I'm speculating. I'm not basing that on anything. But we are going to postpone our conversation with Shannon Phillips. She was going to bring us up to speech. She was going to join us here with her lawyer, Michael Bates. And we were going to talk about that situation. Remember the surveillance, the Lethbridge Police Service following her, surveilling her, even harassing her, photographing her at a restaurant. Police officers did posting those photos. If you're not familiar with the story, you should Google it. It really is a remarkable and chilling one. Elected officials uh, in government being surveilled by police. And we'll get a follow up on that and you'll hear it. Uh, first on Real Talk when uh, MLA Phillips is ready to talk about it. We're going to be talking to Emma May in about seven, eight minutes time from right now. You know, her formerly uh, worked as a senior staffer in former Premier Jim Prentice's office. She's a lawyer, realtor, entrepreneur. Uh, she's got a great business, Sophie Grace, this awesome clothing business, but that's not what we're talking to Emma about. Just yesterday, she kickstarted a, actually, I shouldn't use that word, Kickstarter is a fundraiser, isn't it? She launched a GoFundMe for healthcare workers across the country. Check this out. You can check it out, GoFundMe.com. You can just Google it. Canadians care about our health workers. She's endeavoring to raise a million dollars. She just put it up uh, just a few short hours ago, late night last night. She's raised 4600 bucks so far, and I like her chances. We're going to find out why she's doing it, what it's all about, and, of course, how she's going to dole out that cash. You can't talk about GoFundMes these days without talking about the trucker GoFundMe, right? That Freedom Convey GoFundMe. Everybody's wondering what's exactly going to happen with that $9 million or whatever it is, $10 million they've raised so far. Really interesting story that we're keeping an eye on. Sarah Hoyles will have the updates for us in just a second, but I also want to get to some emails today. We have some breathing room right off the top of the show, and it's been a long time. I mean, it's been, I think, since Aloha Gate, I think since about... Well, more than a year ago, last January, that our inbox looked like it does. We're getting absolutely swamped. As a matter of fact, Real Talkers, I blame you. I missed a very important email the other day. No, I'm just trying to shift the blame, but it's honestly, we can't stay on top of our inbox. We're doing our best, and this is the best problem to have with this engaged audience. You're all telling us 
what you're thinking to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And that includes Carolyn uh, down in Calgary. She says, I just finished listening to your unsanctioned roundtable on Aaron O'Toole from Wednesday. I like that. Carolyn recognizes the Real Talk roundtable typically on Fridays. That's today. We're talking about eating disorders, by the way. She says, first of all, I completely agree with you that Ronna Ambrose could be prime minister if she wanted to be. But that was prior to her television appearance on the night of the last federal election. Carolyn says, I distinctly remember my jaw dropping alongside the other panel members when Ronna began defending Jason Kenney. Carolyn, I remember exactly what you're talking about. She says she argued that he was leading a tough group of MLAs and that it was totally reasonable that he disappeared for three weeks to go on vacation in the middle of a high wave of COVID. She says, I do believe that Ronna Ambrose lost a lot of respect that night. And by the time of the election, a majority of Albertans absolutely hated Jason Kenney, and I can't imagine defending him like that endeared her to small-c conservative voters. And as for Joan Crockett, your guest, Ryan, wow, little comments like, quote, unless they censor us, of course. Carolyn says, I don't even have the words. You know, She seems to have joined that group of extreme right conservatives that believe they're in the middle of a political thriller movie. That from Carolyn. I like that roundtable. There was there was uh, a diverse perspectives, points of view. I was a little surprised that Max Fawcett didn't jump on it a little bit more. Hoyles, like Max was kind of sitting there percolating during a couple of the comments. And then as soon as we went off air, he took to Twitter and him and Joan Crockett started going at it. I'm going to send Max a message, buddy. That's best done on the air. But I think Max wanted to make sure that he let her talk. But it was a great conversation uh, about Aaron O'Toole's leadership, about the border blockade. And people can check that out in our podcast and YouTube archives. How are you doing this morning? Happy Friday to you. I am not doing well. No, I got to say last night was a rough one. Yeah. It was rough. I, I tried to stay off of Twitter, but this lifting of restrictions in Alberta and Jason Kenney not including himself in the presser where media could actually have access and ask him questions, but instead going to Facebook Live yeah. where he could curate um, who gets access to him. I just, my jaw dropped and I... I just feel more than anything, I feel abandoned mm. um, by our premier. The fact that, I mean, as you mentioned, a hunt, so, so if I gather up a hundred friends and we get trucks and shit like that, then we can get whatever we want. Like, well, you, a, get, you can't just do that. I mean, you, you'd have to make sure we're all white. You got to make sure we're all white. You got to get a couple sign, you know, a couple signs that, you know, fuck Trudeau and you've got to get a couple Confederate flags and then, and then, then you'll catch the premier's attention. Uh, you're not alone, and and this whole Facebook Live thing. I mean, Doug Ford, that was his thing. Remember Doug Ford a few years ago, starting up basically his own news network when he was premier, and he had like his own reporter following him around on the campaign trail, and he would give exclusive interviews to this reporter that was pushing out, uh, you know, what do you want to call it? Uh, sort of, uh, are they stories? They're not. They're features. They're vignettes. She would push out these vignettes about Doug Ford. Well, he was out meeting with people and folks are going, you, you kind of have to make yourself available to the journalists. You can't as an elected official, as a politician. I mean, unless it's China, uh, maybe Iran, North Korea, start up your own news service and your own platform and not make yourself available to people. But but Jason Kenney knows exactly how that's going to go. Right. It's not a surprise. I mean, you think of when he's left the health minister or Dr. Dina Hinshaw out to hang. Uh, it's always at the times where there'd be some really tough questions that he probably wouldn't have answers for. Precisely. I mean, he's demonstrating that he's a coward. He's an all out and out coward. He, he hides in his little 
cave in it's live. A cave. It's a big sky palace. What are you talking about? There's no little cave. When you're the premier of Alberta, there are no little caves that you're hiding. You got the sky palace. Okay, but it's like it's it's fortified. Yeah. So he's no one's getting in there and he he can, you know, preach from on high. Yeah, sure. And and not take questions and not be challenged. Yeah. And One of the uh, hey, can I point can I point to something that I'm kind of encouraged about? This is a good news story um, that during this update that we're talking about, though, the premier wasn't there. Alberta's chief medical officer of health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, saying that we're beginning to turn a corner in this fifth wave of the pandemic. Can you imagine if a year ago we would have heard me saying that or heard you reporting on this? That, that we're in, but she said it we're in the fifth wave of the pandemic. She says we've, we're going to prepare to shift uh, toward an endemic approach. Hospitalizations in Alberta seeing a slight decrease Thursday from previous record-breaking numbers. So slight decrease from record-breaking numbers is an encouraging sign, but it doesn't mean we're out of the woods yet, obviously. Uh, to put it into perspective, currently 1,584 Albertans as of last night's update in hospital with the virus down from 14, 112 reported in ICU, which that's a good story. The 120, I mean, it's not an it's, increase. Yeah, There's but, an increase but you in remember, ICU. but Hoyles, you remember back, back, what was it? Approximately, don't quote me, but about six months ago, those ICU numbers were like 260, 280. They were really getting up there. Right. But I feel like the line in the sand just keeps getting redrawn. So we're like, yeah, you know, several thousand people have died, but you know, that we're in a good place. And the idea of an endemic, she's used that word before. Yeah. So to me, I'm just like, we're right back at best summer ever, but now it's, we're in the winter. So I, I haven't caught the slogan yet. Like, I don't know what they're going to go with the slogan yet. They but... might be, they might be off the slogans for a while. The slogan mm. hasn't really, the slogan approach hasn't really worked out very well. And the problem with the slogan approach Probably the, 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 the biggest explode, like the biggest self own of all time with slogans was W on the aircraft carrier with mission accomplished behind him. Right. That was probably the worst one uh, because it was used against him for years and years and years. And as a matter of fact, used against Republicans and for that matter, used against the United States for years. And best summer ever is like the tiny Canadian equivalent of mission accomplished. Right. And so that's why I, I would suspect they're not using it. You know, we've got this interesting note from Carrie as well. She wrote into us. And uh, as a matter of fact, she CC'd us oils on an email to the premier. And she says, I know you, you're obviously concerned about your leadership review right now. It's coming up this spring. Uh, she says, and, and, and like you, says Carrie, I don't want you replaced, premier as there are way too many extreme right people in your party. And that alone is enough of a reason for me. It's exhausting writing. So I assume this pandemic has been exhausting for you too. So Carrie's kind of coming to the table. I mean, it's kind of a bit of an underhanded compliment. I don't want you replaced as leader because all of the other options are worse, but she says, number one, premier, it's time to remove this border blockade. You need to use that law that you created the critical infrastructure defense act. There's no excuse. Number two, this convoy quite clearly has the plan to do away with the entire government. I mean, it's on their memorandum of understanding. I downloaded it off their website yesterday. And number three, we should not be returning to normal. This is what you're talking about, Hoyle. says we shouldn't be returning to normal. Our numbers are barely dropping. We've got too many unvaccinated people that have become, quite frankly, a cancer to our society. Kerry says we need to support our greatest resources. These are the men and women trying to do their jobs right now. You know, 90% of our truckers are doing their jobs. And some of them are even stuck at the border unable to deliver their cargo. Don't pander to this white minority 
for obvious reasons, Premier. We need to be supporting healthcare workers. It's so hard to watch my doctor, who, by the way, Premier, works in your riding, looks so defeated. He told me he tried to speak with you and you refused. Do better. That from Carrie. She's talking Premier's riding. That means she's got to be down in southeast Calgary. I appreciate that note. Hoyles, we're going to be talking about this in just a bit, but talking about supporting healthcare workers coming up in just a, a moment. Emma May is going to join me. Before we go there, I want to tell you about a couple of things we've got going on, and I wanted to specifically draw your attention to what's happening at Dairy Queen. This is a, this is a very important debate, and, and and it was a dilemma that was quickly solved yesterday. We were telling you about Dairy Queen Baseline Road. That's the Sherwood Park Dairy Queen. They put it out on their Instagram for Groundhog Day. They said, what would be the one Dairy Queen treat you would have again and again and again and again and again? In the spirit of Groundhog Day, and our, our team made the rounds and we talked about it. I had no idea before I started polling audiences from the chair of the Real Talk host that score was so dominant when it came to Blizzard orders. So Janice wrote in and said, you guys are missing the boat. Janice hit me up and said, Scorio, it's the score. It's the mix of score and Oreo, which would have been a perfect blend for Hoyles like we were talking about yesterday. And then Russ gets in touch with us. Did you see the message from Russ? Russ says, you guys, it says it's not on the menu anymore, but they can make it for you. He says, not a big deal. Dairy Queen can make it. He says the cappuccino score Blizzard. They had a pump of the coffee in there. Yeah, he says the Cappuccino Score Blizzard is, he says, it's my favorite by far. He says, you just need to ask for it by name. And then the owner of the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton, Mark Cardinal, chimes in. And he says, Russ is right. He says, I've tried all the blizzards. And he says, the Cappuccino Score is holds the gold medal by far. So Cards, the owner of the Dairy Queens, says that Cappuccino score is the blizzard you want to go with again and again and again and again and again, whether it's Groundhog Day or not. So when you visit the Dairy Queens at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and of course, Baseline Road, ask for that Cappuccino score blizzard and you let them know that Real Talk sent you. Plus, we wanted to remind you that our friends at Eden Landscaping, this is the time of year. It's going to start getting nicer in just a little bit, by the way. And unless you're tuning in from a tropical locale, we don't need to hear it, how you got woken up by howler monkeys and how it's always 30 degrees and, you know, you sweat your way through the afternoon and you have to crack coconuts open to drink their fresh milk. If that's not your reality, if your toes and fingers are numb and you're just waiting for spring, it's a perfect time right now to go to landscapeedmonton.ca, check in with the team and get that design process started. Mike and his team can get the ball rolling, order your construction materials. That means by the time the ground thaws and they can start actually building the project, they're going to have everything they need and you won't be delayed. They've been doing it for 20 years, bringing outdoor spaces to life at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, our next guest, you've certainly heard her on this show before. Uh, she's one of my favorite interviews. Always candid, always to the point. She's got a ton of experience. She's worked at a high level of politics, a senior staffer for a former Alberta premier, Jim Prentice. Uh, she's a, a realtor. She's a lawyer. She's an entrepreneur. She's got Sophie Grace, this business uh, workplace and casual attire for women that's absolutely caught fire down in Calgary. And of course, she's a concerned citizen, an outspoken human being, and a good friend of this show. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the program, Emma May. Nice to see hey, you, Ryan. my friend. Thanks for being here. Thanks. How's, How are you? how's business, by the way? Uh, really good. Yeah. Are people did 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 you with with regards to your clothing business? Did it impact you whether or not people were going into the office? Was it more difficult to be in the clothing business when people were working from home? Uh, at the beginning, it was, but now people, our stuff's pretty soft, so it works pretty well for whether you're at home or whether you're 
elsewhere. So it's good. Yeah. Nice. And we're sell- and we're selling now like 25% of our customers are American. So Oh, is that right? That's that's got yeah. a, that's got to be an exciting stat to be processing as a business owner. Yeah, it's fun. Going international. Well, here it is. sophiegrace.ca if people want to check it out and happy Thanks to for see the you plug, doing Ryan. Hey. That wasn't actually why I came on. <laughs> no, I know it's not. And, and I'll make it clear. But every once in a while, when, when I reach out to somebody and say, hey, can you wake up early yeah. and put your Friday plans on hold? I'm going to plug your business for you. Yeah. So I'm sitting there scrolling Twitter last night. I was like, you know, watching the national and I'm flipping back and forth between some Olympics coverage. And, and then I see your tweet. And there it is. And you say, we need more good karma right now. Let's send as many healthcare workers as we can a gift from Canadians, a massage, a student loan payment, a night away, flowers, dinner for their unit. Better than banging pots and pans. Canadians care about our healthcare workers. You've launched a GoFundMe page and you're hoping to raise a million dollars to prove that Canadians care about our healthcare workers. What prompted this, Emma? Uh, I think I was just overwhelmed with the negativity of the past couple of weeks, right? Like it's just been... It's been really hard to watch, um, you know, the protests in Ottawa, the blockades, all of this stuff. And at the same time, think about all of these incredible healthcare workers who for the past two years um, have been doing everything in their power to keep people alive and to keep their units running and to keep the hospitals moving. They've been having to cancel surgeries. They've been working sort of, you know, at the end of their capacity for sure, across Canada. And so in my frame, some of this stuff really feels like this giant insult to their efforts, you know, and we say that, you know, that this is a loud minority, but I thought to myself, well, where is the majority, right? Like those of us who are grateful, those of us who know that this pandemic hasn't, you know, there hasn't been anybody who's really been unscathed by it. It's been shit for everybody. Like, let's be real, right? Like, are there people who suffer more? Absolutely. Do people, have people lost their jobs because of this? A hundred percent. But to think that this is somehow the suffering of a small few, as opposed to actually really what we're in this, which is together, and that many of us have suffered together, and that we've got these people across Canada who show up, day in and day out to help us and to save lives. And that it's time that we actually said to them, thank you. And so I was thinking, you know, how do we do that in a way that's kind of like massive? Um, You know, and then when I thought, well, here, these guys managed to raise like $8 million for a trucker protest, like, and then I thought, well, you know, do we send flowers to a unit? And I thought, eh, whatever. There might be some, like everything's, I just thought, let's do, let's see how much money we can raise. And then let's give gift cards, visa gift cards out to healthcare workers who have been nominated by their, you know, by their friends. So I'm in the process. A friend of mine, Beth Thompson's another entrepreneur. She's coming on board with me. We're going to set up some social things. I'll share them all with you later, Ryan, or, but you know, that's sort of the way we're going right now. And then we're going to be able to distribute these and somebody might need, I don't want to presuppose what somebody needs. Like people are like, just buy them Starbucks cards. I'm like, well, maybe somebody's fucking sick of Starbucks. Um, Maybe they need like noise canceling headphones so they can get asleep through the night because their shift, you know, they got to work the next shift. Maybe they need, um, and people won't stop fucking honking their truck horns. Right. Yeah, totally. Maybe a healthcare worker needs some really good therapy and maybe that would go towards helping them out with that. So how is it that we can actually do something for these people who, um, and collectively show our gratitude 
that's what it's about for me. Have you thought about how you're going to dole it out? I mean, you, you've set a million dollar goal, which is doable. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you've raised 4,600 bucks in uh, the first overnight hours. And that's before anybody hears this or before this thing starts getting retweeted all over the place. Let's say yeah. you raise a million dollars. Let's say you raise half a million dollars. How are you going to administer it? It's a big job. Uh, well, Google, uh, Google Sheets is my friend. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, no, I, really what I'm doing is I'm getting together a group of volunteers, people who will be, you know, people who can help us go through this. What I'd like to do is make sure that we cover healthcare workers across the, pro- across the country. So we'd have representatives in every province. We'd have nominations come through to us. And then um, we would have, uh, I'll probably open a separate bank account before we take any money out of the GoFundMe. And then it can be, uh, you know, audited and we can distribute and buy these cards. This is, uh, I mean, for healthcare workers, I'd take a look and I was just saying this to Hoyles before you and I were chatting. It's like, can you imagine if people would have known back in the day, if you would have known a year and a half or two years ago, that we'd be talking about the fact that there are some encouraging signs that we may be starting to emerge from the fifth wave and, uh, you know, you start to think about, you know, when, when somebody gets exhausted, I would imagine like people that run road races. I think of that, for example, they get the mile markers. So, you know, how much ground you've covered and you know how much ground is left. But right yeah. now, with, with, there's no sort of end date on it. You know, you just sort of have you, you just keep showing up and you just keep yeah. going. And I can't imagine the mental toughness that it takes, the emotional strength that it takes to just keep showing up. Yeah. That's kind of it, right? And um, I think there's a lot of PTSD out there for these people, yep. right? Like, uh, you know, a lot of them get um, yelled at. A lot of them are exhausted. Some of these people have been told that they're not allowed to go home, right? We talk about freedom. You know, who's the least free in our society right now is our healthcare workers who have no choice who to treat and have no choice but to show up every day, who have had their, their, their shifts canceled and moved around on them. And these are really right now sort of some of, well, I mean, there's many heroes out there, right? But these really are people who have taken a uh, direct hit in, in this pandemic. And it's time that we actually said, thank you. We're going to link to the GoFundMe uh, via our official Real Talk RJ Twitter account. I know that Sarah's dropping it in the live chat on YouTube. You can find it there. You can also just Google GoFundMe Canadians care about our health workers if you'd like to make a donation. And certainly I know that that number is going to grow through the weekend into next week and beyond. Um, it's already bumped up since we started talking by a few hundred bucks. So, you know, we're, we're uh, Emma, I think probably in the same boat. You say you're sick and tired of all the negativity. I had this conversation with Carrie, my wife, last yeah. night. And um, I'm, I, I sort of I don't necessarily have the words for it. And I think most people would be able to relate to that. But I'm looking around me. I'm looking at what I'm seeing from like mainstream or you'd think mainstream politicians. I mean, you, you take a look at what's happening in Ottawa. You take a look at the content of this convey, the border blockade, who appears to be calling the shots at the border blockade, who appears to be enforcing the law and who's not. Um, I take a look at, you know, MPP. I know he's a, an independent now, but Randy Hillier in Ontario, I'm not sure if you saw this. Doug Ford kicked him out of the PC party about a year ago, maybe a bit longer than that. But Randy Hillier, tweeting the other day, let freedom reign. And he's post photos of, of, of bombs and jerry cans of gasoline. Like what the fuck? And this is nobody's like, that's just normal. Now that's cool. That, that that's kind of normal. It feels like people are being taken hostage at the border. I'm, I'm sort of, I mean, you've, you worked in politics. You were in those closed doors meetings in, in premier's offices. You're like this politics right now. 
I mean, it's always been nasty. It's always been cutthroat. It's always been you have to be cut a certain way to work there. But like I, I, I don't I can't really wrap my mind around it right now. It's infuriating. It's discouraging. It's appalling. It's saddening. Like I don't I don't quite know what to say right now. Well, I think it is important to remember that this is still a minority position. Um, it just happens to be a really loud minority position. Um, and I think, you know, I was reading a, a tweet storm actually by this guy, Kyle Olson, the other day, and it was really interesting. It was about fundraising and politics. And I think what's happened here, and he was comparing the Conservative Party to the Liberal Party of Canada and talking about how the Conservatives have actually outsourced a lot of their fundraising, um, which means that, you know, these inflammatory things really connect for people. And it's easy to raise money when you make people angry. It's easy to raise money when you hit on these like really deep emotions, right? And so I think that's what's happening out there is that is that there's this, you know, there's some politicians who buy into this because it's they think it's easy for them and it's a quick win and it's a quick hit and they manage to get people riled up and they open their wallets. I mean, look, we just saw like this GoFundMe raise how much money, right? And, and this is really around this idea of, of, of really anger and fear um but that isn't the mainstream how canadians think and feel right now and so it's important for those of us who are not in that to continue to have to continue to raise our voices and not necessarily raise them in you know and this is what i'm struggling with a bit with this is like because i can go off on some fucking rants right um every once in a while and i was like but what's that doing to me right like at that at that core like where where like they're riling me up in a way that's actually unhelpful i'm not creating anything i'm not making anything awesome any you know that you should see you should see my you should see my saved drafts and unsent tweets folders yeah right and so like we have to actually turn the tide on that a bit right and be like no, what is the world that we want to build, right? Like, I mean, and people talk about like tyranny and oppression. Guys, you would be shot dead in the street in Ottawa if we actually lived under a tyranny and oppression. You would have disappeared like weeks ago. So like, let's cut with the crap with any of this thing that we do not live in some kind of democracy. We live in a society where there are rules that govern everything. There's rules that govern how we use our telephones. There's rules that govern how we interact with each other in every capacity of our lives. None of us actually live somehow free and independent. Who who grows their own food or sews their own clothes or, or, or does any of this stuff anymore? We are like connected and so as we get through the pandemic connectivity and the responsibility that we have to each other is what gives us freedom. Um, and we need to remember that. And we need to remember that, you know, the unvaccinated have the choice and the freedom to not take the vaccine. And then they have the choice and the freedom to show up at a hospital and demand the treatment of their choosing. That is freedom. That is the very definition of freedom. So, you know, enough with this freedom stuff, it's over. Move on. Let's thank our healthcare workers. Hopefully we will get through this without another devastating wave. Who knows? There may be things like this kind of trickle along as they die out. So we may be up for something else coming forward in the future. We better be ready for it. I'm stressing out at how many emails you get in a five minute period. It's really we're, we're, we're getting your notifications and it's like I, you get an email probably more often than we do here on Real Talk. Um, I hope I hope you don't mind this. Que- I, I hope you don't mind this question. Um, he was always a favorite interview of mine, and may he rest in peace. Um, Premier Jim Prentice, 
How would he have handled this? How would Premier Prentice have handled a conservative former federal cabinet minister, a conservative premier in Alberta? How would he have handled the border blockade? Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, I think he I think he. I think he'd go out of his way to try and get it done and resolve pretty quickly. I think he'd recognize that there are um, there's lots of also indigenous people um, who are impacted by this. When I read about like the how the how the reserves or, you know, the down there are like trying to cope with this. This is right outside of their front door. Are we not thinking about them? Uh, I'm not sure he would have had much tolerance for it, actually. I think it would have been, you know, people need to be treated equal in front of the law. And I think what a lot of people have seen here is that um, we're questioning whether or not that is the case. We're questioning whether these people are being, um, you know, a nice little negotiation and a full bar. Yeah. Really? Like that. When was the last time I saw that happen? That was weird. That was really that was weird. Really, that was just really weird. Uh, there are essential, like farmers are being impacted here. Uh, businesses are being impacted. Move, you know, uh, get out of your truck. You want to protest? Do what everybody else does. Get a permit, get out of your truck and stand in the cold. Yeah. Uh, final question for you, because I know you got to get to some stuff and so do we. Uh, Aaron O'Toole booted. Uh, depending on who you talk to, most people are saying kind of not a surprise based on the scuttlebutt they were hearing. And a lot of other people were going, what? Really? What do you make of it? Uh, the party revolt, the mutiny, so to speak. And what does the future of the conservative party look like in your estimation? Uh, you know, I have long maintained that... Uh that the um, that the conservative parties right now in Alberta and in and federally are actually two parties, and that this is the inevitability of that of of really that you know really broken marriage. Uh, power is the illegitimate baby that they cling to, and other than that, um, they really don't like each other much. Every once in a while, they get together and have a you know what, um, and uh, they you know procreate and and uh, produce this thing, and then they go back to fighting. So it's not a healthy relationship. I don't think it's healthy necessarily for the country. I think I'd rather have something where uh, even we have minority governments and we look at that and say, you know what, let's uh, let's fight this out. This, you know, Aaron O'Toole, uh, he's really started out kind of more as a moderate guy. And then this window opened up because Pierre Polyev wasn't running and he, you know, he had to sort of um, create a foil of himself against against McKay. Um, and that meant he had to run to the right. So he did that. Um, he managed to convince people that he was the option who are sort of more on the SOCON and the right side of the party, but that really wasn't his true nature. And then he tried to sort of dance this middle thing. And that's just, you know, it, it was sort of destined to fail, right? It was destined to fail. You can't, people understand when you're not, you know, I, I guess I, like it's overused, but authentic to some degree. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, it was destined to fail, and now we'll see what happens. Uh, I think ultimately none of that's going to go away until the party just goes back to being it's two different parties. Yeah, parties. I agree with you. I'm actually kind of hoping it goes back to two different parties so I could vote for one of them in good conscience. Uh, yeah. I'll keep my fingers. You know what? Crossed. Great, a healthy opposition and uh, having having the fear of getting of having your ass handed to you is really good. There's a lot of countries that have coalition governments with a whole ton of different parties. Um, yeah. I, I'm not saying I'm looking for a dog's breakfast with eight or 10 or 12 parties, but, yeah. um, it, you know, if, if, if like, you know, appreciating a government that supports business and has, you know, sort of tax friendly policy to attract investment also means that I have to give the green light to conversion therapy. 
Yeah, I'm out. Like I'm yeah. out. You know, but uh, and 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 it also means I mean you know the one of the worst things I think about this. Talking to a pal about this the other day, he's like literally a card carrying member of the Conservative Party of Canada currently. And he's going, well, I, he goes, I, I'll tell you what. He goes, um, I'm totally unimpressed with what I'm seeing right now from my party. He goes, but there's no way in hell that I'm voting for any of the other parties. And I don't blame him on that. He goes, so I'm just not going to vote. And I'm going, no, 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 no. Like, you're the guy we need voting, you know, engaged and intelligent and empathetic and, you know, contributing to society and all these. And he, I don't think he's ever missed. I don't know, but I don't think he's ever missed voting. And now he's going, well, I don't think I'm going to. And I said, this is what happens, right? Make it politics can get so nasty and so despicable that all the decent people don't want anything to do with it. And guess who wins then? Not the decent people, right? Yeah, it's a it's a hard like, let's be real. It's a hard ask to get people to run in this environment right now. Right. People are protesting outside of people's house, like houses. Uh, The threats are, you know, endless. Um, the, The like I said, the push to sort of extremism is out there. Uh, the only way that that stops is when people actually stand up and say, no, 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 that's not, we're not down for that. Totally. So as much as, as much as we want to sort of hide and avoid it and have, you know, nothing to do with it. If you don't, you hand it over. Truer words have never been spoken. Uh, you can go to GoFundMe.com, look for Canadians Care About Our Healthcare Workers. It's it's up about 700 bucks since we started talking. I mean, the podcast hasn't even dropped yet. Uh, just wait till social media catches this. I want to encourage everybody to make a donation if you can, and either way, to share it with your friends, share it with your network, so we can show our healthcare workers across the country that we appreciate them. It was launched by our good friend, Emma May. Have a great weekend, and thanks for this. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, you sure. bet. Hi, Sarah. Uh, I also have an update here. Um, This is from uh, Avery, who's watching, and she says on Twitter, I just want to reiterate that the Cappuccino Score Blizzard is absolutely the most elite flavor. And she signs off, sincerely, a former DQ worker and Blizzard mixologist. And so now you have the owner of these franchises and a former Blizzard mixologist both asserting that the Cappuccino Score Blizzard is the best. And Carly Watson, who actually is going to be joining us in just a few moments, I'm excited about this, chiming in as well, responding to Avery saying, I also agree as a retired DQ Blizzard mixologist. So this appears to be a unanimous type scenario, which is uh, pretty exciting stuff for, for the Blizzard enthusiasts among the group. Hey, you know, Athabasca University is Canada's online university. You've heard me say that before, but but how could it apply to you? Or why would that matter to you? You go, well, I don't necessarily have a completely clearly plotted out career plan. I don't necessarily know exactly what I want to do. Well, the thing about AU, the beauty of it is that it meets you where you're at. So maybe you don't want to sign up for a complete undergraduate program right now. Maybe you're not ready to commit to a full course load, so to speak. Maybe you just want to better yourself on a, on a certain program or a certain course. Maybe you want to sharpen up your skills in a certain area or better prepare yourself to work in a certain industry. If you go to AthabascaU.ca, you can learn more about current students at the university and the resources that they have available to them. You can check out the admissions and the programs and courses available. There's these handy drop-down menus so you can search for areas that might interest you. And you can learn more, generally speaking, about how Athabasca University works. It's one of Canada's foremost research universities, and you can find them online at AthabascaU.ca. I wanted to show you this. Check this out. I got this in the mail yesterday. Emily, you can keep that music bed going. I love it. It'll make it even better. Check this out. 
You see this mine, mine, mine. This is the original mine pet platter. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials sent us a couple of these in the mail. I'm going to take the packaging off here so you can see it. So Moses and Monroe are going to be eating their quality raw food off this mine pet platter. For those of you on the uh, on the uh, listening to this on the podcast as opposed to seeing this on YouTube, Emily, this looks like the, you remember that game Chinese Checkers with the marbles where people would roll them around. It kind of looks like that kind of a game board. Right, and so the food's going to get in there. It's going to get into the circles, and it's going to get into the ridge lines around here. The ridge will keep it from getting all over your floor, and it helps your dog slow down its eating, so it doesn't get the gut problems. That had to. We had to get our dog a, a dish just like this. Because yeah, she eats food. I'm talking five seconds. Like wolf sit down, and then immediately it's right back up. And, yeah, uh, that's good for no one. It's good for no one. And so you can find these pet platters online at granddog.ca. I think this is going to be a game changer for us, especially Monroe, our black lab. She's like your pup, like dinner's gone in 10 seconds. At granddog.ca, if you use the promo code REALTALK, you can get 10% off your first time order. Quality raw food delivered right to your door. And our friends at Kubi Energy want to remind you that the innovations, the advancement, and the affordability of solar is getting better and better with every passing year. They're on top of it. Their team, working out of Kamloops, BC, and headquartered out of Edmonton, is serving Western Canada, providing solar energy solutions to power your life. They're a full-service contractor for residential and commercial solar power solutions. And don't forget... They present positive reflections here on the show, the first show of every week, which, by the way, next week means that we're going to be getting to that on Thursday. We're taking a few days off, letting the team breathe, and Sam and Kelly are going to get married. So there will not be uh, episodes of Real Talk from Monday to Wednesday. We'll be at you Thursday and Friday live next week from our Real Talk studio. This next conversation is an incredibly important one, and I personally believe that this next conversation might be a life-saving one for some people. Did you know that February 1st through the 7th is Eating Disorder Awareness Week? We wanted to get to some real talk on this. We wanted to get to a point where folks that maybe aren't as familiar with issues around this better understand it. And folks that struggle with this or that survive this, uh, folks that have been dealing with this perhaps their entire lives feel supported and feel that this conversation is being given the attention and the spotlight that it deserves. Carly Watson uh, is in eating disorder recovery. She's a recovery mental health and anti-diet culture advocate. If you follow her on Instagram, you already know that. She's got a fantastic Instagram page. I encourage you to give her a follow at Carly Watson. Uh, She specializes in social media with Caden Ave Communications. Uh, Rafaela Mancusco is uh, a, a mental illness activist based out of our home city of Edmonton. Uh, She's focused on addressing fat phobia and centering marginalized voices. And Logan Locke, rounding out our Real Talk Roundtable on this Friday morning, is a graduate of Western Kentucky University, where he was part of the cheer team for four years. He's currently working for the iconic athletics brand Spalding and enjoys endurance sports, specifically running in his free time. He lives in Bowling Green, Kentucky, with his wife, Emily, and their dog, Ruby. I'm grateful that the three of you have agreed to join us this morning. I want to encourage you to treat this like we're all out for coffee, so you don't have to wait for me to address you. You don't have to wait for me to tap you on the shoulder. If you've got something to say, if you want to agree or disagree with a fellow panelist, please jump in and let's make sure we stay focused on the real 
talk here. Carly, it was you that deserves the credit. It is you that deserves the credit for kickstarting this conversation. You reached out to us and you said, Jespo, what's your plan for Eating Disorder Awareness Week? And right away, I said, well, I'll tell you one thing, Watson. You're on the show because I've been following you on Instagram for, I guess, a couple of years right now. And your advocacy doesn't stop. I mean, it's almost a daily thing for you. How did you get to this point? <laughs> well, um, first of all, let me say thank you so much for um, allowing this to happen. It's such an incredibly important conversation to have. Um, and to say how I got here um, in a short form way, um, really like eating disorder recovery um, basically brought me here um, through a lifetime of trying to work through my mental illness and figure out um, what worked best for me. And basically like within a system that is pretty much broken when it comes to mental illness and mental health. Um, I learned very quickly that there weren't really a lot of resources or appropriate professionals that were there to help. And it was such a journey to get here today. Um, there are so many wonderful professionals out there who are doing the work. Um, so many incredible people who are telling their lived experiences doing the work. Um, two of them are with us also here today, Logan and Rafaela. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and yeah, it's it's really tough to say uh, exactly how I got here. Um, but the most important part is I just want to get the message out there um, of how serious eating disorders are and where the stigma lies. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Well, it's, it's, I mean, we, we want to have real, the show's called real talk and we want to have conversations that matter to people that are significant, that are relevant and that sometimes make us uncomfortable. Like, let me tell you the three of you, I, I feel like this is a, this is a safe space. So this is a healthy conversation we're going to have, but I also want to be honest with you as an interviewer. I'm going, I hope when I, I don't ask the wrong question, or I hope I don't ask an inappropriate question because when it comes to things like mental illness or eating disorders, a lot of times while people will feel the empathy toward it, we don't have the knowledge or the, the clear understanding of it. And that's what we hope that we can accomplish by having this conversation. Uh, Rafaela, you're living with what's called atypical anorexia, which a lot of people might not completely understand. C can you describe for us what that means for you personally? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but I kind of cringed when you said it because there's just so much stigma surrounding it, mm. even though I wrote it myself. That's not your fault. That's mine. Um, so atypical anorexia is literally just anorexia, but in the DSM-5, which, you know, clinicians can use to diagnose people, um, I fall under atypical anorexia because I am not underweight or below the weight they think I should be in order to qualify, but all the other behaviors and symptoms are exactly the same. So I really hope we can get to a place where we just recognize it as anorexia, but for myself, I do say atypical anorexia just to kind of avoid those stares of like, you, anorexia, how? So yeah hmm. when did when did you know or when were you diagnosed uh with an eating disorder what what did your journey look like <sighs> that's such a hard one um i'm 25 now so two years ago at 23 i was in a full-time therapy program and 
that's when I was talking to a psychiatrist and I was talking about, yeah, I think I have like disordered eating habits, but you know, I don't qualify as an eating disorder. And she actually showed me the DSM-5, opened it up and said, how many of these symptoms do you have? And like with the restrictive behavior, the fear surrounding uh, like ideas of fatness, um, I was like, yeah, this is me. But because I'm living in a larger body, because I identify as a fat woman and I was that chubby kid growing up, these behaviors were always encouraged and supported. So my whole life, I thought I was doing the right thing because everyone around me was telling me to. So this has been a tough journey of being, oh, these behaviors are actually not okay. They should not be encouraged and celebrated. And so it's just been a journey the past couple of years to really come to terms with that. Logan, let me just ask this like straight talk to you. I just want to sort of fire it right at you. I bet you a lot of people would say, you're living with an eating disorder. That's that's not who I people would say if, if I were to sort of imagine like the poster person for for ED advocacy or a person in ED recovery, you you might not be the first person they might think of. Do people say that to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, you know, I, someone responded to the tweet last night saying how glad they were that there was a male coming on the show because it is it's a topic that's it flies under the radar because when you think of eating disorders, the stigma surrounds women and that's typically how it goes. And so I think for me, that's why my journey was so hard to come to terms with myself because I didn't want to believe that it was happening to me. I'm like, it doesn't happen to men, you know? And so that's, that's something I do get a lot. And, you know, it's, it surprised me, even though knowing that I'm a male with an, who was had an eating disorder, how many male, how many men still reached out to me after I partnered with Nita and announced that, you know, I was in recovery for an eating disorder and I was ready to be a resource for other people. It still surprises me how many men have reached out. Wow. So you're in recovery from bulimia. I feel like, I mean, I'm asking obviously very personal questions here. You can go into them to whichever depth you feel comfortable. Uh, did that, you're, you're a huge fitness advocate, obviously. You're, you're an, an enthusiastic an, an endurance runner, et cetera. Is there a direct line between your eating disorder and your competitiveness and your fitness pursuits or are they unrelated or how do those fit together? So I was a cheerleader in college and I was, you consider me overweight until my senior year. I did an internship. I went to a city completely by myself and I lost a pretty significant amount of weight. So whenever I came back, I think I had this, I felt like I had this pressure on myself to maintain that. And none of that behaviors that I had would have caused me to gain a significant amount of weight back. But I think I put that competitiveness and pressure on myself to keep that weight off. And so that's kind of where it started. But now for me, running is purely a form of release for me and I can still keep that competitive nature and, you know, having my fitness account and being able to follow people and interact with people. I want to show that you don't have to cut out fitness just because you have an eating disorder and recovery for an eating disorder. Now, obviously everybody's journey is different. So I'm not saying you have to be, you have to run, you have to work out. But for me, I want to be that advocate and show that you can have separation between taking it too far and feeling like you're working out for the wrong reasons, or you can do it because you genuinely feel better about yourself and you can find that form of freedom and you can connect with an amazing community of people around fitness and around whatever it is you enjoy to do. So for me, I've been, I'm grateful that I've been able to kind of find that balance between 
okay, am I doing this to replace my compulsive behaviors of my eating disorder? Or am I doing this because I really enjoy running and, and fitness in general? So like I said, I'm, I'm really grateful to have been able to find that balance. And so that's one being a male, I want to push that, that it's okay to say it out loud and be vulnerable and be a male. That's okay. And two, you can still work out and enjoy it and not have that pressure. Well, I would I would imagine that for a lot of people, Carly, like what Logan describes, there's, you, you know, you can be a male and have an eating disorder. There are probably thousands or maybe millions of people, not necessarily men, but people that, that may have what would qualify as an undiagnosed eating disorder. In other words, they're going, well, it's not I can't ha- I wouldn't I'm not the type of person that would have an eating disorder. But they go, maybe I know that my habits aren't the healthiest or, or what I'm doing is not the healthiest when, in fact, it is an eating disorder. Right. I mean, people come at this from a lot of different angles. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I like to look at eating disorders on a spectrum because each one is so individual to each person. It's so competitive incredibly unique um, in saying that um, with eating disorders, like there's a lot of really big confusion because I feel like, not I feel like, I know um, a lot of these disordered eating habits are normalized in society. They're normalized in the fitness industry. So a lot of the things that we're prone to seeing constantly in our face, especially through social media, especially through marketing, are a lot of like disordered eating. Um, and a lot of that is praise. So like back through <laughs> when I was in the fitness industry, I was in fitness competitions. That was like my main like <laughs> personality trait. Um, all of these things were celebrated and I was constantly applauded for basically showing these disordered habits that I had and putting them on a pedestal. And going through that motion and looking back, I realize now just how insanely fucked up. And I, I love that I can say that word. So I'm, I'm using it. Um, it's incredibly fucked up. Um, and you know, where this kind of all fits in is under diet culture. So, um, the definition of diet culture is a referral to a set of beliefs that values thinness appearance and shape above health and well-being. Right. Um, a lot of people don't realize it's rooted in racism, fat phobia, and oppression. Um, an example of diet culture is even something as simple as labeling food as good or bad, um, normalizing negative self-talk, self-image, and basically the message that thinness and dieting equate to health, which is completely wrong. Okay. Um, so I, so sorry, so. I didn't mean to step on your toes. Sorry. Uh, I, uh, first of all, Rafael is like, nod. For everybody listening to the podcast, your, your body language is like, give me the microphone. Give me the microphone. You're just nodding and nodding. And I want to make the point. And then I'll do right back to you. Um, I, I learned something new every single morning hosting this show. And I'll be honest, Carly, I did not expect the word racism to pop up in this conversation. So, uh, Rafael, it looked like you looked like you were ready to take that one on. Um, let me hand it over to you, Carly. Maybe we can circle back. But what, what does fat phobia have to do with racism? Are you asking me? Sure. Well, yeah, either of you. But yeah, why don't you go, Carly? Wrap up the thought. We'll go to Rafaela. So how racism fits into diet culture is diet culture's history is actually rooted within the hatred and the negative connotation towards the black body and especially women of the black body. So that's basically the roots 
of diet culture. So when you hear body positivity, body positivity was actually um, created by larger black women. I think it was in, I want to say, don't quote me on this, 60s or 70s. And they were the ones that started this movement to amplify their voices because they weren't being heard over first of all, the color of their skin, and second of all, the size of their body and how it was demonized. Rafaela, over to you, my friend. Thank you, Carly, for bringing this up because I found that in a lot of eating disorder discussions, it's usually centering the people who are idolized in society. You know, the thin white people. And it's like, yes, of course we need to care about everyone and everyone's journey matters but to talk about the actual roots in this the roots of racism and white supremacy and the fat phobia and that's something that I think shocks a lot of people and it's hard to get into these discussions especially because our whole society is so ingrained in diet culture that when we talk about hey it's not like super awesome to be restricting people are like, what do you mean? Like, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. Like people don't even recognize they may have like eating disorders or disordered eating because we praise these behaviors. We encourage it. So to tell someone like, Hey, that's really fat phobic. It's, it's so hard to even start that conversation. So hopefully this can be a place where we can do that. And so when I talk about fat phobia, it's not necessarily like fearing fat people, but the fear of fatness itself, demonizing fatness, when in reality, fatness is neutral. It is not a moral determiner. It is not like a standard of your health. You cannot look at anyone and know what their health is, where people could look at me and on Instagram, on social media, say like, oh, you know, you should eat less, blah, 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 assuming things about me, when in reality, I'm actually living with a restrictive eating disorder. And that's all part of people just making assumptions because of my body size. And I really hope we can break down that stigma that only thin people are healthy or worthy of love. And even in that, why is health the indicator of worth? Like we don't know anyone's health. Even if someone is unhealthy, they still deserve love and respect and care. And that's, for me, like that's the main point I wanna focus on is breaking down these walls of categories people should be placed in and removing the systemic oppression of fat people, of people of color, disabled people based on their bodies or other things they just cannot control. We've got so many comments right now in the live chat, as you can imagine, obviously. I mean, some people are just writing in to say, hey, I'm a survivor and I'm here for this conversation. Other people are, are acknowledging that they don't know a lot about this and they're curious to learn more. You know, I mean, Tony says being a bigger girl, I always had that you have such a cute face. She says like what? Like the rest of me is shit. She's like, I have a brain, I have a big personality. I'm a hard worker. I'm a loyal friend. Like <laughs> those attributes don't count, right? Uh, Michelle says diet culture and fitness culture is absolutely linked to racism. It literally builds trends based on racialized bodies. My favorite comment so far is from Jerry. She's watching and she said, I am here for this convoy. And then she had to walk it back and said, convo, convo. I'm here for the convo. 
Logan. Oh my God. <laughs> she, she goes, sorry, everybody. She had to follow up. And she said, not the convoy, the convo. Logan, uh, Logan, we're hearing, we're we're hearing from both of your fellow panelists, Rafaela and Carly, and they're both making really great points about, and and Carly talking about herself as a former competitive fitness model or a fitness competitor, let me say, um, and uh, and I can think of, I don't want to get too personal here because I don't want to start talking about them personally, but like friends of people, people I follow, people I admire, quite frankly, that are in competitive fitness or that don't compete but they are in the fitness industry, and and I watch them. And on one hand, I see what they're posting like Sundays, like meal prep. And they put like they, they, they're they going to eat like chicken and bro- steamed chicken and broccoli for like 11 straight days, all in the same Tupperwares. And I'm like, oh, my God. But at the same time, but at the same time, I'm like, that's awesome. Like, good for you. That's great. And and and, and I know that you're all all three of you are going to cringe when I say you look great because that, you know, I know Rafaela doesn't like that. But but, you know, we look and like they've got the eight pack and the triceps are just popping and like they've got the veins in the forearms and like all this like you know you're kind of like wow that's the discipline that it takes that's the commitment if you want to look like that and I don't want to take anything away from how hard they work and what drives them and what inspires them and what motivates them I'm not cracking on them for that but Logan you yourself I mean you're big into fitness I mean this is your wheelhouse how do you know when it crosses the line? Like, when does it go from healthy to unhealthy? Yeah, I'm, and, you know, you said a really good word that I was going to touch on is discipline. And I think whenever it comes to people meal prepping, you know, for myself, I only will prep a lunch for the next day. And I typically will do it the night before. And that is solely to save money. And I know this meal is good or I'll eat leftovers from dinner the night before. But I think the biggest thing people like to do that because it's a discipline trait and they know they are making themselves do something hard and uncomfortable to better themselves and just feel better about themselves. And I think sometimes it is hard to draw the line. Like really, you want to feel better about yourself. Like you're restricting yourself on your eating habits. And so I think it's hard to really know because social media is so skewed on how you portray people, but how they actually are in person. And so that's why I try my best. And it's so hard to be transparent in my journey. Whenever I, Again, Carly just said she hates good food, bad food. But in the fitness sphere, you know, Carly, I mean, people say, well, that's shitty food. Like you're eating like shit today. I'm eating like shit today. But I share a meal when I'm out and I'm having a beer and beer is big in the running world. So I like enjoying some beer. So I try to be transparent in my journey and show other people, you know, Nick Bear. He's probably my biggest inspiration. He's a badass hybrid athlete. He he looks great, Ryan. He looks great. But he's also very transparent in his journey from building a huge nutrition and supplement brand and how he is as an athlete. And he's just he's for me, that's not who I aspire to look like. That's just a mindset that I want to have and the discipline and the inspiration that I want to have internally to drive my journey. So, again, it's really hard to answer the question of when is too far too far for other people, because we don't know how they are in their day to day lives unless you know them on a personal level. When you see them on social media. 80% 80% of the time they're posting the good, the good things that happen. And I'm, I'm guilty of that sometimes too. You like sharing the good moments, but for my, myself, myself in the mental health field, she's, she's a professional in that field. So she is very good about reassuring me and bringing me back down to earth. You are fine. You're doing fine. You know, you, you don't need to restrict yourself. You need to live a happy life and not worry about the next meal you're going to eat or getting in a workout. So I try to make my schedule around, health and fitness in general, very adaptive. If I don't feel like getting up to go do something, my body isn't responding well to 
a workout that day or a certain meal, I'll like, all right, I'll save it for tomorrow. I'm going to go get a McChicken. Like, I don't care. You know, mm. it's all about being adaptive and having an adaptive lifestyle. Yeah. And I, I think that's awesome. I just want to touch on something there. Um, Logan and I actually connected online, um, A, because we're both recovering and B, I'm also a runner as well. So it just seemed like a really good connection for sure. So Logan, I'm so happy you could be here today. Um, and just to touch on that subject, you know, like back when I was, you know, I had a six pack and I was really thin and what people would idolize as healthy um, in society. I was actually suffering the most under my eating disorder at that point. Um, so it's important to know that, you know, a lot of people hide um, their eating disorders under the guise of health and fitness and wellness. Um, I mean, we're all victims to diet culture and I can appreciate people in their journeys um, at every level because we're own we're in our own chapters. And um, yeah, like, with food and everything like moralizing it and demonizing it is only going to make that relationship worse. Um, it's actually known that dieting is one of the main reasons why people fall into eating disorders. It progresses from disordered eating into eating disorders. Hmm. Um, and that's, can I, Hey Carly, hang on a second. Take it, take us there. Like what disordered eating to eating disorder. So they're, they're different things. One is kind of the gateway to the next. Yes. And I think there's a lot of like confusion there, um, which is understandable. So disordered eating is like small little things that, you know, like labeling foods is good and bad or, you know, weighing all your foods or getting upset or guilty that you indulge in something. Um, that is on the bad spectrum. Um, and these little things add up over time. So like I said, eating disorders are on a spectrum. Um, and once you kind of get into the eating disorder things, it completely engulfs your life. Uh, it completely takes over your mind. Um, so it's a physical, mental, just horrible thing, but it is, it's a spectrum. So everybody's super unique and like their stories and how they kind of get there. Um, but dieting is one of the main causes, um, of eating disorders happening. I mean, obviously trauma, uh, plays a huge role in that as well too. Um, which is kind of where I started, but essentially, yeah, that's why I, I advocate so hard for anti-diet culture. And when I say anti-diet, it doesn't mean anti-health. Right. And I think a lot of people get that confused as well, too. Um, health is completely subjective. It has many factors um, that bring several different outcomes. Um, and a lot of people don't really realize that, you know, like poverty or access to food, access to healthcare, genetics, hormones, et cetera. Um, many don't take that into account um, that socioeconomical factors do play a health, like a huge role in health. I'm glad that you mentioned trauma as well. And the more that we understand about so many, uh, the word may be, may be too soft, but afflictions or there's so many challenges that people face, whether we're talking about eating disorders, whether we're talking about drug use, whether we're talking about whatever. I mean, anger that people feel in mental health, so much of it is tied 
to trauma. Lisa, I want to take a minute to just chime in and let our audience have a say here, too. I mean, Lisa, all of them are watching us live right now on YouTube or listening on the Mixler live streaming audio app. Lisa says, I'm stuck trying to find a healthy relationship to exercise and getting rid of shame and expectations is, is really tough. How about this from Cheryl, who says years ago I had an internship at Alberta Hospital Pinoca and I worked closely with a male who was suffering from anorexia. Male eating disorders are frequent and also hidden. Larissa says, I think everybody has a family member, a friend who's always trying to lose weight and who will talk about it openly, you know, with zero trigger warning. So it can be really tough to manage. That feels like a good time, Emily, to put up this number. Do you mind? Let me just let you know that if this is resonating with you in a way where you're feeling challenged, if you'd like somebody to talk to or a resource, the National Eating Disorder Information Center has an eating disorder helpline. It's available 24 hours a day at 1-866-633-4220. That's 1-866-633-4220. And you can check out nedic.ca. That's N-E-D-I-C. Dot ca Amber says bravo for this real talk this panel is brave and and speaking amazingly well uh, Craig says I think back to playing football you know coaches would say you know he says I'm 250 pounds and they tell me I got to get up to 280 and he says I remember developing some really really poor eating habits for a while that that took a while to correct uh, we've got so many others chiming in I mean Amber says I spent for many years, uh, you know, eating one meal a day because of poverty. I didn't have an eating disorder, but I know that it certainly wasn't healthy. Uh, Sharon says, I won't even weigh myself for my doctor. <laughs> she says, that's my, says that that's that, my, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Sue says, uh, losing a huge amount of weight suddenly can turn on an eating disorder. People who have the genetic predisposition or the history of eating disorders in their family should not be dieting. Uh, others of you say are, are resonating with that trauma comment. Carly saying we need to get to the problem and stop trying to heal the symptoms, which I think is a great point as well. I saw a comment from Hawes here, and I know that Hawes comes to this sincerely. I feel like I know Hawes. We've been corresponding for many years now, and Hawes has been such a good friend of the shows that I've hosted. And I've lost it here in the mix because so many people are chiming in. I love this from Jillian, who says, I'm just learning so much today. This is amazing. But Hawes basically says, let me sum it up. I'll, 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 uh, I'll paraphrase what he said. My apologies, Hawes. I can't. Oh, here it is. Serious question. How do we effectively address eating disorders and the very real health challenge of obesity in our society? I'd love for the yeah. three of you to take it on. Uh, Logan, you want to go um, first on this? Oh, Carly, go ahead. You seem ready. Sorry. <laughs> I know I knew this was going to come. And this is also a very important conversation to have. So this kind of ties back into rooted fat phobia under diet culture. So a lot of the studies that we are seeing now, um, obesity is basically not the epidemic that people think it is. Um, and I hate using that term, but I know that we have to use it here in order to talk about it. Um, but when it comes to fat phobia, um, people even just seeking out medical help for whatever it may be, something simple to go to their doctor in a larger body, they are facing weight bias. They are facing weight stigma and obesity is a part of that issue or labeling it as obesity is a part of that issue. So um, I know Rafaela really wants to touch on this, so I'm going to hand that over to her because she has direct um, experience in this. So, Rafaela. Yes, thank you, Carly, for the intro into that. That's it's such 
a hard one because I feel like that's what it comes down to, right? That's the biggest argument of someone like me accepting myself, not dieting, not trying to shrink myself is, well, what about health? What about the obesity pandemic, which is, or epidemic, whatever, Um, which, yeah, isn't a real thing. When you're looking at statistics about people living in larger bodies, fat people, there's so many other factors, including trauma, genetics, like there's so many other things. So for example, when I'm living with mental illness, so when I was way younger, even in a smaller body, I went to the doctor to get some help. And he told me, no, just go eat healthy and work out because of my body. And that obviously did not work. And like myself and many other people living in larger bodies, I'm afraid to go to the doctor because I know if I want to talk about an issue unrelated to my body size, it comes down to, yeah, well, you should lose weight or yeah, you should diet and you're not heard. So if someone's ending up in a hospital, they're ending up with poor health, that's not because of my body size, it's because my other things are not being treated. I'm not being listened to. I'm not being taken seriously by the world. So we hide. And uh, so, yes, there is a relation with body size and health. Like, but it depends on each person, right? Like for me, I'm the healthiest I've ever been in this larger body because I'm eating more I'm nourishing myself I'm learning to have healthy behaviors whereas when I was in a slightly smaller body restricting more um no like people might think that's the idea of health or Carly when you were in fitness competitions people might think that that is health when as you said like that's not it's about how you're feeling inside and that looks different for every single person so I think in general we can just squash the whole obesity epidemic thing and instead be like, oh, how horrible is it to live in a fat body and how we treat people so horribly? I wonder if that contributes to their health. You know, if we just treat people like crap all the time and mock them for their bodies and constantly throw money at programs and diet so that we don't look like them, I wonder if that impacts them a bit. I just want to say something too. So when the obesity uh, epidemic type stuff started to come into play and into effect, a lot of the studies that were done were funded by programs like Weight Watchers. Hmm. Fun fact. So, you know, the diet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry and they are literally profiting off of our insecurities And they're using things like the obesity epidemic to contribute to that so they can fill their pockets even more. And there are tons of studies that are out there. Google is free. Um, I love using that. Google is free. Um, I do have a ton of resources and studies that people can also look at on this. Um, But in saying that, this is leaving people in larger bodies to die. People are dying. And including eating disorders, because we can't just look at somebody and know that they have an eating disorder. Hmm. It doesn't work like that. Every single person in every single size of body can have an eating disorder. 
this is and uh, I think, and just to add to, yeah. to add to what Rafael and Carly both said, that's what this conversation is about today is like helping people understand that and that the obesity epidemic has been so has been so big and so praised in a sense that we need conversations like this. It's okay to not know everything about it and to understand why Rafaela feels the way she does about it and why she feels uncomfortable when doctors try to have that conversation. Everyone needs to educate themselves and be more knowledgeable of it. And that's even for myself, you know, it's, it's connecting with people like Carly and Rafaela and then being able to have the platform like this, like real talk to be able to have that tough conversation and allow people to be an open book and add more, add more knowledge to topics they don't know. That's what today's about. Yeah. Uh, I saw somebody here make a really good point as well, saying that um, a lot of the, the, um, you know, the, the, the scuttlebutt through COVID-19 hasn't really helped uh, with a lot of the assertion, you know, that, that fit bodies or that, that people whose bodies look a certain way are less susceptible um, to contracting COVID-19. Uh, Rafael, I see you nodding. You're also going to love this other comment, by the way, from Jillian, who says, Jillian says we're not spending nearly enough time talking about how beautiful the name Rafaela is. And so Jillian wanted me to point that out. But what was it about, Mike? What was it about the COVID-19 comment that, that resonated with you? I can tell that it did. Yeah, that COVID-19 has not helped our systemic fat phobia issue, especially when people are screaming, Ugh, Carly knows this one. People are screaming, oh, you're causing the issues. Like, go work out and take care of yourself. That's what's causing the hospital. Blah, blah, blah. All that rhetoric. It's garbage. Um, and even the people that like, yeah, maybe they're being less active right now, like being stuck at home. Maybe your body's changing a bit. Maybe you're realizing that you're hungry and you're not restricting as much. So people's bodies are changing. So you hear a lot about like the COVID-15 or, you know, oh, we got to get back to the gym. And it's, it's so harmful. And another message in that is saying, like, if you're saying, oh, like you just have to like be healthy, be fit, and you won't die of this pandemic. Um, that just, you're saying a very clear message that you don't care about people in different sized bodies. You think it's just fine if fat people die. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, like, well, they had a comorbidity. I mean, I just like to point out and and Tim Caulfield, Professor Caulfield was on the show a long time ago and we were talking about, uh, you know, these people making these assertions that if you're fit, you're fine. I mean, Joe Rogan was talking about it. There's been some, you know, influencers as well that have come out with that idea. No, I'm not saying it, Carly. And uh, and uh, and so Caulfield comes on the show and he goes, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and this was at a time when like 26 of the Vancouver Canucks had COVID at the same time. And he's like, I'm pretty sure that National Hockey League skaters are probably among the most fit athletes on planet fucking Earth. And uh, all of them have COVID. So, you know, Sue Hoff has been not only a dear friend of mine, um, but also a, a fierce advocate when it comes to uh, health in this context for many years. I've known that about Sue, and she's chiming in on our chat saying obesity and eating disorders are not opposing ideas, as people often think. She says they're rooted in the same issue, and we have to focus on other measures of health, not just fixating on weight, uh, which is an interesting uh, take on it, and I appreciate that, an informed take as well. Um, did I see you raise your hand, Logan? Did you want to say something on that? Or no, you were just adjusting your posture. I had, I had an itch. Yeah. <laughs> just want to make sure I'm not ignoring you, yep. my man. Um, 
finally, I mean, and, and take this wherever you like. I want to give you all an opportunity to, to make sure that we walk out of here w- with everything significant and important addressed, that we don't leave something unaddressed. But Carly, you teed up marketing. And I, and I think that that's really important to touch on as well. And that, of course, goes into the diet culture um, and, and how people, quite frankly, feel about themselves. We, you know, we talked to mental health experts on this show and on previous shows I've hosted that have said, quite frankly, if you can, in particular, if you have teenage girls, but generally speaking, try to keep your teens off Instagram. I don't know if that's possible. Or try to keep them off TikTok because there are, there are demonstrable mental health. Rafaela doesn't look sold, and I'm curious to hear your take on that too, my friend. But but Carly, I'll let you kick this off. People say it's just it's not good for your mental health. It's not good for your self worth. I mean, this is all a bigger part of that conversation. That is marketing. Let's get into it. So I mean. In general, with social media, obviously, there's going to be a lot of harmful things out there. And generally speaking, um, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword because I feel like in one end of the spectrum, there was a point in my life where all I was following was like fitness influencers and people doing detoxes and like all of this like diet culture garbage. And then in the other spectrum, once I kind of started um, learning and studying diet culture, eating disorders, and kind of learning more about what was going on with me, um, I slowly unfollowed all of these fitness influencers who were really toxic to my recovery um, and started following more of a general community of people who were also recovering from eating disorders and going through the same things. And this is kind of where it brought me today because I saw what was happening and I was like, there's so many things that like we're missing that we're falling short of when it comes to eating disorders. I want to put out these resources. I want to put out this information. I want to help plant the seeds so that other people can get help um, as soon as possible and be able to heal their relationship with their body, with food, with movement. And so it's definitely a double-edged sword um, in saying that. I think it's obviously very important to monitor some type of social media, especially with younger kids, like teenagers, um, when they're consistently taking these things in. Um, But in saying that, it is a double-edged sword because I wouldn't have met Rafael, I wouldn't have met Logan if it wasn't for social media and I wouldn't have these connections. Um, but there definitely is a very important role um, with social media and eating disorders and realizing that everything we see on the internet isn't exactly as is. Like Logan said, it's a highlight reel most of the time. Yeah. Rafael, you want to touch on the marketing or the media angle to this? I would love to. Carly pretty much nailed it. But adding on... Um, Instead of just saying, okay, keep your kids off of the internet, no Instagram, no TikTok, like, okay, realistically, social media is not going away. And so I think instead of fighting it, instead of trying to shelter the children, we can have open conversations saying, hey, when you go on here, like, let's talk about who you're following, what images you're seeing. Is it just a bunch of thin white women that look like they've been like very clearly face-tuned. Um, let's try being more diverse. Let's see like, oh, let's follow this anti-diet account. Let's expand our horizons. Like for me, I've definitely curated my feed. So I'm following people like Carly, who I know 
is a safe space. I'm not going to be triggered or going to be pulled into hating my body when I'm, you know, engaging with her content. I followed so many fat creators, um, people of color, disabled people, like, and I'm just learning so much. So instead of like, ah, oh, no, the internet, I think we need to gain control over it and say, okay, this is an active decision of who I'm following, who I'm engaging with, and making sure those are healthy decisions. I think you absolutely, I mean, that's the bullseye right there, and you nailed it. I mean, Kim on our chat says teens need to be educated to filter out harmful information, and they're better at it than we are, quite frankly, for the most part. Jilly says, unfortunately, teens, kids are going to hear or see this rhetoric somewhere. You know, friends, family, Instagram, TikTok, Tumblr, whatever. I think focusing on talking with kids to sift through, to better understand and have open conversations is really important. And, and I wanted to put this one in front of you, Logan, because, uh, you know, this comment, I understand it, too. Like Trevor says, to be honest, he says, I'm, I'm kind of feeling a bit shamed right now for really enjoying working out. And I and, and, and it's a it's a great comment. And I and I can kind of understand in a way why. Right. And, I, and I'm hoping that maybe you, Logan, based on your personal experience, your expertise could could maybe help us sort that out. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody's and saying don't I, be healthy. Right. And so that's that's what I wanted to touch on on our closing remarks when we got the opportunity was at the end of the day, every person is different. I think that's obvious here. Like all me, Carly and Rafaela, we're all different. We've all come to different backgrounds, different eating disorder experience. So at the end of the day, each person's happiness or passion is not the same. So you have to do what is going to give you joy and what's going to make you feel good about yourself, not what other people tell you feel good about yourself. That's why for me, I'm a huge advocate for doing what you love. And for me, that's running because not just, oh, I look good or, I, you know, I feel good whenever I get done doing it. And then I've built such a fun and amazing community of people that support me and I'm able to pump support into them and meet people like Carly and Rafaela. And then, you know, on my fitness account, obviously there is a lot of that. There's people that I follow that are doing, you know, body competitions. But for me, that's not triggering for me. But that goes back to the social media being able to filter. That's one of the positives of social media is you can filter through who you follow and who you don't follow. Like Rafaela said, you can block someone if you want, if you don't want to see any of their stuff. So it's just don't feel bad about working out. If that makes you feel good, you need to work out. And if eating certain foods makes your body feel better, that's also the same thing. Like for me, I take a greens and red supplement because it pumps micronutrients in my body. It helps with digestive process, everything. It makes my body feel better. So healthy, healthy tools and healthy lifestyle choices, if you want to even call it that, don't have to be labeled healthy. They can just say, it makes me feel good. When I work out, I feel good. I feel kick-ass. Like when I get up at five and go work out, it's because it, it's a good start to my day. So mm. don't feel bad about working out. If you feel, if you feel good when you work out, then fuck what everybody else says, then that makes you happy. Yeah. And same with Rafaela, fuck working out. If it, if it makes me feel bad or triggering, I'm not going to do it. So that's, you got to find that personal balance and it's not always easy. And it's a process, especially for young people. You know, like everyone here right now has been through a journey where they're like, okay, I know what I can handle and I know what I don't want to see. And that's just part of the journey. So if you feel kick-ass working out, then work out. Nailed it. Love it. Love it. I was feeling pretty good the other night. I went for a midnight snack at the fridge. I've been trying to cut back on the midnight snacking, you know, and and Amazing, uh, yeah. and I found there was like this fresh like thing of blueberries in there and I was crushing them. I like had the I had the fridge door kind of blocking me, so just in case Carrie came down and I was just <laughs> crushing these blueberries. Not because they were healthy. 
because they made me feel very good. Um, I am so. (laughs) Let's go ahead. It's all food serves a purpose, right? Yeah. You know, that's you're enjoying it because you just truthfully just want to indulge and enjoy it. Or you want to have something nutrient dense just because it makes you feel better. Cool. It's it's, it's like if I if I talk to, you know, my trainer, Graham is just a beauty of a guy. And I'm sure that he'll probably say to me, that was that was great because uh, that was good that you did that, Ryan, because there's antioxidants. And I'd go, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted a mouthful of blueberries. But it's always nice when there's a benefit to it as well. I'm so grateful that the three of you, I mean, you just showed up hearts on sleeves, ready to talk about personal experience. That's what you get on this show. And I'm so grateful for the three of you. Uh, Logan Locke joining us out of the great state of Kentucky, beautiful Bowling Green, uh, Carly Watson and uh, Rafaela Mancuso. Thank you so much for showing up in such a significant way. We wish you uh, the greatest weekends. Thanks for this. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan, so much. If, if you, you have somebody that you know needs to hear this or would benefit from hearing this or might be interested in hearing about this, we thank everybody that shares our content. If you like the conversation, make sure you go ahead and smash like on our YouTube page. Like, subscribe, the whole nine yards. We really want to make sure that this conversation in particular gets to as many people as, as possible. And keep an eye on future episodes of Real Talk. We're also working on... Um, a health and wellness roundtable where we'll talk about diet, sleep, and exercise and where those three intersect, uh, a part of ongoing conversations. You know, sometimes we'll get feedback from people that'll say, well, you didn't cover this in that conversation. Number one, we really appreciate those emails because it keeps stuff on our radar and it reiterates to us some of the important talking points or some of the important, you know, premises of arguments. And, and second of all, we want to remind you that these conversations go on and on. And oftentimes one roundtable might lead to another as we, you know, uh, uncover more information that, that is of, of, of relevant interest to our audience, which continues to grow. And we're so grateful for that. Have you heard about this Growing the North conference that is coming up? It's coming up February 22nd through the 24th, and it's a virtual conference, a great opportunity for municipal leaders and entrepreneurs to explore economic development opportunities and innovation in northwest alberta again february 22nd through the 24th you can register now at growingthenorth.com there's going to be six different keynote presentations and then a ton of breakout sessions a lot of networking opportunities where you can learn more about the economy and the future you can learn about resiliency and agriculture how about tourism innovation and leadership as you can see they're taking on a whole bunch all under the spirit of explore innovate and grow it's the 13th annual Growing the North Conference. It goes February 22nd through the 24th, and you can sign up today at growingthenorth.com. We've been keeping an eye on our hashtag through today's show. I don't have to tell you. If you're a regular, you know that that is powered by the team at Park Power. And for you know the last couple of weeks, we've been getting viewer testimony after listener testimony. Many of you have been bringing your business over to Park Power via their website super easy to do at parkpower.ca these are the months obviously where we're spending the most on electricity and natural gas for the most part anyway keeping our homes heated and you're chiming in you know larry the other day for example said his electricity bill was down 30 percent since he brought his business over you can compare rates on internet electricity and natural gas even sign up today at parkpower.ca And we wanted to give a special shout out as we head into the weekend. If you're going to be on the go, maybe it's cross-country skiing, maybe maybe it's dog sledding. Who knows? Maybe you got those fat tires on your mountain bike. Maybe you're going to be snowboarding or whatever it is. Are you at the ODR skating with the kids? 
Dram in a Can is perfect for the whiskey enthusiast on the go. This is the Two Stacks Irish Whiskey Dram in a Can, 100 mils of beautifully blended Irish whiskey. You can buy it in single cans or packs of four at Sherbrooke Liquor. I recommend their two locations in Edmonton, including that beautiful new location in Otwell. By the way, you can get neighborly when you're at Sherbrooke Liquor. Nominate your cool neighbor, the people in your life who go above and beyond. They're handing out gift cards to good neighbors. Shout out to Sherbrooke Liquor. Did you know that at Sherbrooke, I mean, I know we're supposed to be talking dram in a can and Irish whiskey. Did you know that they have 2,000 different beers at Sherbrooke? 2,000 of them. They've also got 600 different whiskeys. 600 We're talking Scotch, bourbon, rye, Irish whiskey, including, of course, the Real Talk Cask Number 1 Woody Creek Bourbon. They've got just a few bottles left of that, and that's where you'll find two stacks Irish whiskey at Sherbrooke Liquor. Sarah Hoyle is the editorial producer of this show. Um, I broke a promise, uh, Sarah, or let me say I intend to break a promise this morning, and that is you and I were endeavoring to talk about uh, the lockdown drill. My little guy had a lockdown drill in his school, and I was a little taken aback. I didn't quite know how to answer his question of, Daddy, why did I have to be so quiet under my desk during the lockdown drill at school today? And it just hit me. As a parent, I'm relatively new. I'm only six years in, and, and I didn't quite know on the fly how to manage that one. And I said in a tweet that I wasn't prepared to answer that question. I asked parents how they would handle it. And Hoyles, we have literally hundreds of responses. I think about 200 responses to my tweet. And we put it out there yesterday telling Real Talkers we were going to get to this. We invited people to chime in on email to talk at Ryan Jesperson.com. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer Sarah Hoyles, technical producer Sam Brooks, I wasn't getting in the way of this roundtable today, though. And there was a lot of important stuff to talk about. So I think what we're going to do is we'll bump this conversation about lockdown drills and talking to kids. It's bigger than lockdown uh, Real Talk's I want to editorial talk about board how do we discuss with young Ahmed Ali, kids or Anne young Castleman, people Corey the harsh Hogan, realities of Julie life. Roar, I mean, to what Harman degree Kandola, do we enlighten them? Catherine to what O'Neill degree do we show them behind Henderson. the curtain? Real Talk and we're going to be talking to a Edmonton, child psychologist, a child mental health expert uh, coming up in the next number of episodes here on Real Talk. And so we'll tee Dene, that up. I wanted to update our audience and let them know that was coming. But what a powerful Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights uh, reserved. For you know, more, check out ryanjesperson.com. Okay, in all honesty, going <laughs> to drop some truth bombs here. Yeah. Um, so I, I um, wow, um, <laughs> I lived with an eating disorder for a number of years. And um, so I just really appreciated hearing the different voices because Uh, I think that there's a lot of shame around eating disorders, thinking that, I mean, for myself, I always felt like, oh, poor little white girl, Mm. poor little white girl. And I had shame because I was like, it's a teenage girl problem because it's always attached or kind of portrayed as being um, something that teen girls go through. I was not a teen when I finally uh, accessed resources to get help. I did not. It's not something that I can grow out of eating disorders, just like when we had our conversation about ADHD, you don't grow out of it. You need to address it. And so I really appreciated hearing from folks that were not white girls in this conversation. Um, 
it actually prevented me from getting help for a time because I felt like I'm a cliche, I'm lame. Like I wished that I had more of a badass problem because I just was like, it's not a legit problem. Wow. Um, I also felt like I'm not skinny enough. There's no way I'm skinny enough. And that's also part of an eating disorder is like, you're never skinny enough. <laughs> so, um, you mean you, yeah, you, you, you felt like you weren't skinny enough that it was yet a problem. Correct. Uh-huh. If I got to a certain weight, then sure. May, maybe then I'll have a problem. Yeah. But really what it was is it's a, it's a behavior. It's a c- compulsion as was mentioned. Um, it's, it's like, for one thing I would do compulsive exercise and I can say with the comment around, um, you know, feeling guilty about exercising now, to me, I am active and I, I love being active. I love feeling my body in motion and being you know, like moving in space. Um, but what I think it was is the why I was exercising. That was fascinating when Carly talked about disordered eating versus eating disorders. And not every once in a while, pretty much every day on the show, you can always see me fiercely scribbling notes. And and it's not always about stuff I want to say on the show. A lot of times it's stuff I want to look up myself after Mm. and learn more after. And I hope that this show plants a bunch of seeds. I know that it does because people tell us it plants a bunch of seeds where you go, I'm going to look more into this later. Like that's that's one for me. Where do you draw the line between disordered eating and eating disorders? And I thought that that was really fascinating. Hoyles, I really appreciate you sharing that i i, I want to say that like that means a lot and i know that for a lot of people that's that's a big thing it's not like you and i are just talking over coffee right now um but yeah. but i think that it empowers a lot of other people you know what was also not lost on me was that and i can't remember everyone's names i apologize but i think it was craig that said he was talking about football and and craig said his disorder needing started when he was told by his coach to put on weight and and coaches and, and like if you're talking about the tactics of football you go yeah i understand why alignment are we want our offensive line around 300 pounds like that's just kind of how it goes that's the direction the sport is going um and so craig's coach would say we need you to pack on some pounds now how do you do it i don't know i mean i look at at actors that'll take on different roles and they'll go wow you, you know matt damon put on 75 pounds to play this role and you're going oh boy i don't know if that can be healthy you look at michael strahan i mean these are i'm not necessarily saying these are eating disorders i'm just talking about sports and athletics i mean strahan when he won a super bowl with the new york giants was massive right and and now that he's you know i mean one of the the biggest stars in broadcast television down in the united states he looks quite a bit different um he, he he's demonstrably small you know more thin uh than he was when he was playing football and you just kind of look and it's really interesting to see for example specifically in the context of athletics uh, what it may call someone to, I mean, I'm not qualified to talk about sumo, but our little guy, Wyatt, is fascinated by sumo wrestling. I don't think he'd mind me telling you that he takes his boxer briefs and pulls them up so he can look like a sumo wrestler. <laughs> Daddy, can we, Daddy, can we sumo? As soon as I see him pulling them up, I go, oh boy, here we go. He's about to slam into, he's fascinated by sumo. But even he was commenting on it's like you've got the big sort of the giant sumo wrestlers. But then also that sports change a little bit where there's sumo wrestlers that are more slight. And so, I mean, even just in the world of sports, you know, you've got people saying you got you, you got to get smaller. I mean, I think of figure skaters, gymnasts and many others. Right. And then other sports saying you got to get bigger. And I mean, you look at what this does to people um, in the pursuit of of elite championship caliber type athletics. And uh, I, I don't think. 
I mean, what reiter- what was reiterated to us today is that people are coming at this from a million different directions. And to me, that says that this conversation is incredibly important. It's relevant to maybe not every single audience member, but a whole bunch of them. And I thought that that was a big win. It was important that we had this roundtable today. Absolutely. I mean, really, in my story, it's it was varsity sport. Huh. Like I was I was recruited to be on a varsity team in university. I competed. I went to nationals on multiple occasions. So um, it was within the guise of sport. And I very much it I it aligns with my story that it was it was related to health. So look at what Sarah can do. Look at how like look at her six pack. Um, she's so healthy. She's such a competitor. Um, but really what it came down to is I, I feel anxious and agitated if I didn't get my workout in. Yeah. Um, I would, per, I continued to work out past when I retired from varsity sport. Um, so to me, it's always about the why, like, do I feel anxious? Do I feel agitated when I can't get that workout in? then that's a flag to me that it's not about the workout. I would also feel like I was on autopilot when it came to food and I would flip, like it would go from being, um, I would compulsively eat to, which meant like, I felt like I was on autopilot. Like I was kind of on having an out of, out of body experience. Sure. Like I would be watching myself doing it. I wasn't actually being in the experience of eating. And then I, it would also flip at random times where it would be restriction and I could keep restricting, meaning not eating, re- eating certain foods, eating at certain times of day, having lots of rules around food. Um, it's to me, it's about the why. It's not about what you're doing, what I was doing. It's about why I'm doing it. Hmm. Sandra says, you're being very brave, Sarah. Says, be proud. You can express yourself so well around your issue. Other people are uh, pointing out, by the way, that, you know, Jill, for example, says, you're bringing up some great points that didn't get mentioned in the roundtable, which which brings value as well. Um, and I appreciate that. Emily, do you mind me putting you on the spot for a second? Emily Baczynski, our associate producer in the house. You were talking about yesterday, um, and, and I'm kind of putting you sort of off the top of your head, but you were saying that you had, uh, tell us about this thing, this this sort of mental thing that it was it had to do with compulsive eating. It was a fascinating study that you had taken a look at. Was it a documentary or what was No, it was a little four-part lecture that uh, uh, my partner actually stumbled upon YouTube, kind of one of those uh, magical moments where you're kind of looking for answers. And, you know, it's got like 500 views, something like that. Like, it's not something you would expect to come up, but it's about how psychology has been addressing compulsive behaviors and addiction. And that it's possible, nay, likely that we are actually coming at it from the wrong direction, looking at it as though it could be, um, you know, genetic. And I think like this extends to, um, you know, uh, addictions like alcoholism or drug abuse. And I say it extends to eating disorders as well. And looking at it more so as actually a survival mechanism where, you know, your prefrontal cortex is your sense of self and your limbic system controls your rest, relaxation, blinking, these passive things you're not in control of. Right. And if you experience some sort of trauma, it becomes um, eating food um, or, um, you know, trying to get that sort of rest. It actually kicks you out of survival mode. You cannot um, be in fight or flight if you're eating. But also, if you go too far, they describe it as there's three levels of threat response. And the third one is shutdown. And your body tries to do things to 
wake you up, to make you feel alive. And that could be compulsive behaviors and that could be starving yourself or you, that's where you get into like harder drugs. And it's a, it's a spectrum as um, some of the panelists were saying. It's yeah. just not, you're not in control of it. It's not something that you're consciously doing. It's actually your body's physical response to trauma. Fascinating stuff. Emma just wrote, whoa. <laughs> is it easy for people to find? Would it you, is. What's uh, it called again? Or what should people Google? Or so? I'm totally putting you on this, but you're like, would you give me five minutes notice so I can track this down? Yeah, but- you know, it's a, it's a doctor named Dr. Hall. And they, there's, there's doctors only posted these four videos. Okay. And I think if you look up uh, addictions and compulsive behavior, um, and again, I also, this was something that we stumbled upon. So I can't vouch for sure. this doctor, you know, like this is uh, this is not medical advice, but it's really, really fascinating. Four part series lecture. We want to be very clear. None of us are doctors or medical professionals. We're having a conversation here. Yes. You know, like I, I just saw Can the great, greatest feedback of all time. Right back to you, Hoyles. But but uh, was it Ashley that just said, I love that we can share and have this safe space to do so. And I love it. That's real talk. You know, no offense to my friends that are still working as news anchors, mm-hmm. but they'll come back from a two minute story. And then the anchor goes, uh, shuffles their papers and says, well, that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah. On to the next story. And here on real talk, that's not exactly how we roll. We want to be able to have people say what they think and sort through it and chew on things. Uh, no pun intended. And, 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 and really try to make sense of them. What were you going to say, Sarah? I mean, I love making uh, jokes of it and just um, not making light of it, but just acknowledging it. And um, yeah, because it's there's shame around it. Right. And sure. so I need to be able to I mean, I'm allowed I'm allowed to make a joke about my eating disorder because <laughs> I got it. You can do whatever um, you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I was going to say was just that in my experience, it's, it's a process addiction is what my experience has been and how I was able to find recovery was that it is uh, like it's the process of doing the starvation. It's the process of doing the exercise. It's the process of doing the binge that gave me relief. Huh. So to me, it was precisely that a process addiction. Proud of you, Hoyles. I appreciate We didn't plan that you were going to share this, and I, it really means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to a lot of people. Chelsea on the chat says, when you're an elite athlete, the guilt you feel when you're not working out or when you're not eating the way you're, quote, supposed to uh, is just anxiety central. That from Chelsea. I want to read this email. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Uh, like I said, we've been absolutely flooded with emails this week, and we're going to try to get to as many as we can, including uh, next week, Thursday and Friday, our episodes next week and into the week beyond. Keep the messages coming. It drives our editorial content. Ron wrote in. He signs off, Ron, not Ronnie. Okay. So Ron says, personally, he's talking about the conservative revolt. This brings us back to the story about Aaron O'Toole, this truck convoy, this occupation, if you want to call it in Ottawa, the border blockade south of Lethbridge at Coots and whatever else is about to happen. There's all these other convoys. Friends of ours were coming up from Sylvan Lake to Edmonton yesterday saying they go, they go, we were going 55 kilometers an hour the whole way up. They're trying to take their kids out um, for a special day. And they go, we're going 55 on the highway. I go, what? I go, was the weather bad? They go, no, there's the, they go the convoy. I go, the convoy? I thought the convoy, no, they go, no, this is the convoy from like Eckville to, oh, there's another convoy. There's convoys all over the place. Everybody's wondering if Sam and Kelly's wedding is going to be interrupted by the honking horns of a convoy. Did you see the guy that put up the sign in Ottawa on his condo balcony? Honk if you love Trudeau. Amazing. Ronnie, no, Ron, not Ronnie, says, personally, 
I'd put myself squarely in the middle middle of the political spectrum. He says some areas are non-negotiable to, to me, though, and, and one of those non-negotiable areas is giving credence to the more extreme fringes of the political scene in Canada. And Ron says in the last election, and ever since I put my ballot in that box, I've at least entertained the possibility of voting for the conservatives. I was dismayed and disappointed and, quite frankly, appalled uh, by Aaron O'Toole meeting with that group of truckers in Ottawa, though, and even more so with United Conservative MLAs visiting an illegal blockade of a major provincial highway and a major port of entry to Canada. Ron says, needless to say, I'm not sure that I can say that I can even entertain voting for the Conservatives anymore. He says, thanks for hosting a fantastic podcast that keeps me informed on local affairs in our province and across the country. Ron, I appreciate that, and that means a lot. I can guarantee you that Ron is not alone there. And the proof is about to come in the form of a Friday tradition of ours in just a second. I got to get my breath. I got to mentally prepare. <laughs> this is like the boxer that's getting his hands taped right before they go out. Ran into Jelena Murdenovich the other day, by the way, eight-time world champion boxer. She's got some exciting news coming up. Not mine to say, so I'll just shut my fucking mouth. That was not planned, but I want to give Jelena any time I think of boxing, I think of Jelena. So just a shout-out to my friend Jelena. It was nice to see you the other day. Our friends at Friesen Brothers know that you and your family are getting ready for the weekend, and hey, that may include a special family brunch. The Jesperson family brunch this weekend is going to be sourdough cinnamon buns from Friesen Brothers. We're going to get into some Ivan's Sweet German Sausage. Of course, we'll go farm fresh eggs. And and then if Wyatt Rudy has anything to say about it, our six-year-old, the sausage will not be enough. We're going to go with some thick-cut bacon from the real butchers at Friesen Brothers as well. You can find out everything they've got going on at Friesen.com, including the rooster, their fried Alberta chicken sandwich, and the steak and prawn dinner that they have coming up on February 12th. Just ahead of Valentine's Day at select Friesen Brothers locations. There's 16 of them across the province. Friesen Brothers, Alberta-owned and Alberta-grown. We also want to give a big shout-out to our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Now, I talked to you all about the new inventory that they've got. I'm driving that 2022 Ram 1500 Longhorn that is blowing my mind every single day. Can I tell you something really small about the Ram Longhorn that I'm really enjoying? We have another vehicle in our house. It's, it's not a Dodge. I'm not going to say what vehicle it is, but it has a heated steering wheel. But it's not heated enough. It's not hot enough. It's like a lukewarm steering wheel. And, and I recognize that this is truly a 1% problem, that your heated steering wheel is not enough. But if I can go on the record and tell you that the heated steering wheel in the Ram 1500 is just the perfect level of heated, well, take my word for it and then go see for yourself. You're going to walk into Sherwood or St. Albert Dodge and you're going to say, Jespo tells me that the Rams heated steering wheels are the perfect level of heated. And then they'll say, did he tell you about like the Hemi engine or the towing capacity or the beautiful crew cab seating? Or did he tell you about, and and they're going to say no. And then you can discover all that stuff for yourself, but do yourself a favor and just wrap your mitts around that steering wheel. Tell him Jespo sent you to St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. And finally, our friends at Local Waste, of course, you know by now that they've been doing business for a quarter century, still family-owned, across the prairies, and constantly growing. I mean, they're into new Alberta and Saskatchewan communities, it seems, almost every couple of weeks. 
They keep it local. As you can see on their website, localwaste.ca, with construction, commercial, and residential waste and recycling collection. Maybe you're running a farm and you could use one of those big 40-foot bins. Maybe you need the regular pickup. Local Waste does that. Or maybe you're right smack dab in the middle of the city about to do a complete overhaul of a new loft condo you just bought. Congratulations. The 10-foot bin might be a better fit for you. Whether it's a one-off or whether it's a permanent installation, they've got you uh, I mean, all set up. You can request a quote today at localwaste.ca. Now, of course, you know every single Friday, our friends at Local Waste give us an opportunity. They roll out the carpet, if you will, to... Give us a chance to blow off a little steam. It's a Friday tradition that we call Trash Talk! Yeah, this one from Brad who wrote in to say uh, non-political trash talk for you, right? Because there's a lot of shit on the political front that is just garbage. This is about workplace etiquette. Like, if you empty the water jug, replace it with a fucking full one. Oh, and by the way, parents, this trash talk in particular, not safe for work, not suitable for kids. You're about to hear a few things that'll be new to your young ones, and we don't want them learning it on Real Talk. So this is the NSFW adult version of trash talk to the max. Back to Brad. He says, replace the water jug with a full one. If you use a coffee mug, plate or fork, wash it, dry it, put it away. If you use the toilet, fucking flush it. If you plug the toilet, use the plunger beside... Who is Brad working with? He says, and if you use the last of the toilet paper, please fucking replace it. This is not rocket science. Your mom doesn't work here to clean up after you, so put on your adult pants and clean up after yourself. That from... Beer Leaguer Brad. This one from Scott, who simply says, Jesperson, the Olympics just started, and I'd like to say a few words about them. Corrupted, exploitative, and expensive as fuck. Thank you for your time from Patreon boss Scott, who will not be watching the Olympics. Hang on a second. I just threw out a trash truck. I got to go get it. Emily, Okay, good. I got the trash talk back. I didn't want to throw this one away before I had a chance to read it, and I've done that. I've done exactly that. Tyler. Tyler, it was yours I just had to recover from across the room. I hope it's worth it. Just kidding. It made it through our vetting process already, which means it's automatically worth it. Tyler says, I'm sick and tired of people telling me what to do. Colleges offering degrees to the so-called educational elite. These pricks always saying things like, don't eat rat poison, Tyler, or don't play in traffic, Tyler. Fuck the rules, says Tyler. I'm sick of governments always looking out for the common good. Licenses to operate vehicles? Bullshit. If my nine-year-old wants to drive an 18-wheel tandem trailer hauling 30,000 bushels of lentils down White Avenue, she has every right to do so. Freedom! And don't you tell me she's too small. She can't see over the steering wheel, and she has no aptitude to operate it. She has every right to cause mayhem and destruction. Tyler says, coots forever. Rules never. Unless you're not white, then you're really fucked. That signed off from Tyler. I see what you did there, pal. How about this one from Aaron, who says, clearly my voice and the majority of Albertans right now means nothing to this government. I mean, what kind of health minister starts to remove programs that limits the chance of spread with zero science to back it up? What's wrong with you people that you choose the vocal minority over the reasonable majority. Profits over people? With our limited testing, we're still at 40% positivity. We have zero access to rapid tests, and we can't even pick up PCR tests without having to pay for them. There's a special place in hell for these people, and history will not be kind. What about this one from Janine, who says, What's happening? My own province is ruled by a coward and a bunch of brainless liars. I mean, there's a hundred bullies at the border and they're allowed to call the shots when thousands of parents want this draft curriculum trash 
thousands more don't want coal mining in our Rocky Mountains or to pay for park access or to have utility or car insurance doubling? Get this scumbag back to Ottawa, Janine says. Whew. That actually kind of made me feel a little bit better. Happy to help, Janine. What about this one from Joan, who says, These protests, including in Ottawa, ridiculous. And quite frankly, they're making us look stupid, especially here in Alberta. I worry that the world will judge all Albertans by the actions of these selfish people. Our premier has emboldened these hooligans, and as they hold us hostage, they now believe that they're in charge, that they can break the law, threaten violence, spew their hatred, and do so with the consent and maybe even the subtle blessing of the Alberta government. Any other group would be ticketed charged and removed period how about jody gondek the mayor of calgary yesterday i love that charge him and get him out of there she says jones says once again i'm saddened by the state of my province i don't know who the premier is listening to surely not the vast majority of us who are law-abiding vaccinated and just trying to keep each other safe i implore everybody to use whatever influence you have to force this premier to take action and stop this now that from joan in calgary how about this one from adrian who wrote in to say after a bad cold as a teen my immune system went into overdrive and i developed type 1 diabetes at 15 a month before my first day of high school a doctor at the hospital told me i had to bleed out my fingers and take four or five needles a day for the rest of my life to live and i didn't completely understand the science but i sucked it up and i did it now doctors around the world telling us to take three needles to help save hospitals to avoid getting run over by a pandemic and these guys are running all the way to ottawa crying about it just because you don't understand the science you're being babies my baby took her vaccine like a champ so you're just a bunch of ding holes that's a new one from adrian he says do what the doctors say like we've done for a long time so we can all stay healthy and cared for and then adrian has a bunch of nice things to say and praise about real talk but this is not the time for that and finally a personal note from me so you've got the saskatchewan member of parliament alongside well another one called andrew Shear. you remember him the milk guzzling guy that lost the election to justin trudeau as peter mckay said missed scoring on an empty net well check this out the saskatchewan mp yesterday meeting with the truckers telling them that they've been fighting for freedom right this is kevin wah he's a conservative mp out of saskatchewan says these are the guys that have been keeping grocery shelf stock they've been keeping the supply chain going over the past couple of years so i fired back and i said there's been millions of hard-working patriotic canadians vaxxed truckers included who did everything they could to protect the vulnerable through two years of a pandemic the conservative party of canada appears to be done flirting with the fringe they've just hopped right into bed together well i get a response from this guy i don't typically amplify stuff like this but dutch snake eyes says to me hey jesperson you stupid fucking chimpanzee go suck a dick freedom will win and all you hosers who think that that can be easily taken away are mistaken it's disgusting to know that all the lives lost in world war ii to protect it are being thrown away by socialist pricks Now, typically, that type of tweet wouldn't see the light of day on a show like this, but especially the homophobic stuff, right? I mean, is there anything more pathetic than a loud, angry, anonymous keyboard warrior like that clown, Dutch Snake Eyes? But here's where it got me. I mean, here's what prompted me to personally chime in on Trash Talk. It's the World War II reference. You know, the twisted, misguided, ignorant interpretation of what freedom is all about what's this guy angry about right like what prompted him to fire up his 1987 ford aerostar minivan and drive it all the way to ottawa and protest vaccine mandates 
wearing masks in tight indoor spaces, right? Concerted efforts to keep scheduled surgeries on track and healthcare workers just one hair shy of being completely overwhelmed. Uh, the numbers don't lie. Uh, dozens of people are still dying every single day across this country. And this twerp thinks it has something to do with socialism. <laughs> this is the type of guy, had he been alive back in 1940, 1941 or so, would have turned on his porch lights in the middle of a mandated blackout because of freedom, right? This is the guy that would have put his entire city at risk of an air attack with those porch lights blazing a trail for enemy bombers because of personal freedom, right? You can't tell me to keep my lights off. You can't tell me to live in the dark. I got my freedom. Keep the sacrifice of our brave soldiers out of your mouth when you're bitching that you can't walk into a 7-Eleven to pick up another three-day-old hoagie sub for supper without a mask till Omicron calms down, all right? You degenerate. You selfish. You're not a hero, and you deserve to hear about it, Dutch Snake Eyes, so beat it! Hey, if you have some, you got to get off your chest. These are all real emails, except for that one. I wrote that one. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can find us. As mentioned, we're taking a few days off to let Sam and Kelly celebrate. We're so happy for them. May love rule. We're back on Thursday, and next week, you're not going to want to miss B. Meyer. How's this? A feel-good feature. Her new book, How Dogs Make Us Better Humans. That's coming up next week on Real Talk. Make it a great weekend, everybody, and we'll talk to See you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.